Yeah, we're um, actually kind of wrapping up the <clears throat> New Testament tour, although we're going to tie it in next week as well. Uh, it's going to look more at uh, the church in the New Testament um, next week. But uh, we've been com- covering uh, really a big picture overview of Scripture uh, through the Old Testament as well as through uh, the New Testament. And the purpose really is to, to help us kind of have a grasp of Scripture uh, in its entirety. And it's very important to have that uh, in order to understand the specifics. And so many, so the response that we got as we were doing the, the Old Testament overview is people had never heard this stuff before. And, and it's true, you, you generally don't do this kind of teaching in, on a Sunday morning. Normally this is reserved to, for a class, but I believe it's so valuable uh, that uh, we wanted just to continue through the New Testament <clears throat> as well to kind of give an overall. So today I'm going to actually be covering Hebrews as well as the letters of uh, James, Peter, John, Jude, and Revelations. That's that's all, you know. <laughs> uh, piece of cake. But um, <clears throat> the ultimate purpose of the series and the intention that I have had and what I feel God laid on my heart uh, when we set up this series, uh, actually quite a long time ago, late last year, was to increase the role of Scripture in our lives. All right. So the goal is that Scripture, the Bible, will have a greater influence or a greater role in the life of believers. And in order for that to, to happen, of course, you need to understand Scripture and have a better understanding. So that's kind of the underlying uh, uh, reason is that we as Christians, believers, need to have the Bible as a primary influence in our lives. And unfortunately, it just isn't. Okay, To be radically honest, the Bible for most people is not the primary influencer in their life. In other words, decisions that are made are often not made because of Scripture. You know, they're made because of television advertisements and uh, role models on, on, on TV shows or in the entertainment world or something you read in the newspaper. Or they're made based on, uh, you know, emotions or hormones. And uh, they're made based on examples that we have in our life or reacting to responses, uh, or responding to things that happen. And, and that's just not the way God intended it. And God's Word has the power to give us the ability to respond in a way that changes the circumstances rather than just continuing to react to the circumstances and causing those circumstances to uh, cause more damage in our lives. Do you see that? Are you hearing me? And so even as believers, we can say the Bible is, is the basis for our lives, but we have to demonstrate that it actually has to be a direct connect between this happened in my life, the Scripture said this, and so I did this in response, and this is how God uh, uh, resolved the situation. And we need to have a connection. From, from James uh, chapter uh, 1, 21 through 25, just concerning the Bible itself, concerning Scripture, this is what James says. It says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the Word God has planted in your heart for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the Word of God and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard then God will bless you for doing it. And again, in, in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 22, also con- uh, talking about Scripture in the life of the believer, uh, Peter writes, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. 
As the Scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. Hallelujah. (laughs) Sometimes we fade. (laughs) But the Word of the Lord, our life, remains. The the Word of the Lord remains forever. And that Word is the good news that was preached to you. Okay, Both of these passages I just read are from the portion of the Scripture that we're going to be looking at today uh, one from James one from the letter uh, from Peter and they emphasize that significant role scripture must have just some of the things that, from these two verses it says that God's word has the power to save God's word this bible has the power to save you all right to save our souls it has a power that sets us free if you are in bondage of any kind if you feel limited, hindered, restricted in any area of your life, your freedom is available in this Word. All right? You have to believe that in order to be motivated to seek it out. It says, by it, it, the Word, you were cleansed from your sins. How do you get free from besetting sins? It's the Word of God. And because of it, your new life will last forever. So just, just ponder for a minute how significant Scripture is, all of these benefits come directly from having the Word of God and understanding it. It's important that we understand it and integrate it into our lives. So quickly, we're going to talk through uh, kind of the big picture look at these last few books of Scripture and uh, uh, hopefully to help you understand how they fit in the structure of the Bible. Uh, and, um, and, and then as you read the books of the Bible, you'll be able to integrate them more uh, thoroughly in your life. So, the book of Hebrews, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews. You know where it's at? You know where your Bible's at? <clears throat> it's funny, I actually I'll do almost all my Bible now on my computer. Uh, and I read my daily Bible on my phone, <laughs> which is really cool. <laughs> so um, I don't use the printed one very much. <laughs> uh, so things change, right? <clears throat> Same word. It's actually gotten easier. I mean, my word, uh, my word, God's word is <laughs> available free. Anybody that has an Internet connection can read any translation, I think, that has ever been any English translation and just about every other language for free uh, with a click of a mouse and, and research it and the tools that are available now um, for for those of us who have that connection is, is just beyond understanding. And people of old would have and did die just to get a Bible. And we have not only a Bible, but unlimited Bible resources. Um, what a blessing. Well, the book of Hebrews is very similar in the style of um, Paul's letters, although it's just enough different. The format is different enough. It's not really a letter. It doesn't begin with a a greeting and an introduction, so we don't know who wrote it. And so there's some debate whether or not it was a letter. Uh, 1 Corinthians, for example, or uh, Romans is clearly written as a letter that was sent from Paul. This uh, book starts out very differently. There's no introduction. It just says, God, who at various times and various ways, spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, you know, just, just starts right off. Um, and so it's possible, rather than a letter, that it was a, a, a sermon that was taught and re- someone wrote it down as he was, uh, was speaking, or they wrote it out in a sermon format. Or it could have been written down as as a lesson that was distributed uh, to churches. We don't know who the author was. Many people think it was Paul because it's so similar to Paul, but there's enough differences to make us wonder. It doesn't really matter um, who, who wrote it. We know it was one of the uh, group. Some people think it was Barnabas, uh, Apollos, Silas, some of the other people. Um, in chapter 13, it does mention Timothy as a brother. And so Timothy was one of the, uh, those that, uh, and, the, and the person that the uh, letters to Timothy are addressed to. 
and he traveled with Paul for part of the time. He was one of Paul's associates. So it was very likely either Paul or one of his associates, somebody that knew Timothy uh, on that intimate basis. Uh, Paul called Timothy a son. Here, Timothy is called a brother. So it could be someone just in that group. Uh, it was written most likely prior to the fall of Jerusalem. as a very key historical event was in 70 A.D. The Romans finally just got sick and tired of all of the trouble that the people in Jerusalem were causing, and they just destroyed it. They plowed it, okay, uh, completely and utterly destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And that pivotal event changed um, it caused uh, uh, all of the Jews, and especially all of the Christians, to scatter throughout all the world. And it was basically from that time until 1948 when the, when the, the world governments uh, gave land back to the nation of Israel that uh, Israel wasn't a self-sufficient state, um, depending on how you define that. There was always uh, Jews living in that area. So it's not mentioned, the fall of uh, Jerusalem is not mentioned in the letter, and so it's likely it was written before that because it, it addresses, it's written to Hebrews, it's, it's, uh, uh, the, it's ad- addressing Hebrew believers uh, primarily and probably those living in Jerusalem as well as those living elsewhere. And the purpose of it and the primary message of uh, the book of Hebrews is an in-depth explanation of how Jesus is the Messiah and how the Old Testament practices and beliefs are brought to completion and continue in the New Covenant. Alright? Get this, please. Its primary message, the whole book of Hebrews, was written to Hebrews to explain how the Old Testament passages and practices, the belief system and the, and the practices integrate with the fulfillment found in the New Testament. And it gives all Christians then a really good understanding. If you study and learn what Hebrews is about, it gives all of us a deep understanding of how the Old Covenant and the Old Testament uh, uh, and the role of Christ interact and how they fit together. And uh, the importance, there's a, such an emphasis on faith. A lot of people pass over this book because when you start reading it, it gets kind of confusing because it's quoting all of these Old Testament passages and referring to a whole bunch of Old Testament, Old Covenant um, uh, 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 doctrines and, and uh, the sacrifices and the priests and it mentions all these things. But it's taking these, these important aspects of the Old Covenant and saying, hey, this is how they fit within the New Testament. This is how they are fulfilled within the New Covenant. <clears throat> and so it's an important book in understanding how to integrate the two. All right? And most people that have difficulty in understanding how the Old Testament fits with the New Testament, they have that difficulty because they've never studied the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews is in the Bible to explain that. All right? And does, does a really good job at it, actually, <laughs> if, you, if you take time to study it and, and read it. This book is uh, particularly important to me uh, because of uh, a verse in uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 12. And again, this is a, a reference to the Word of God concerning uh, the Scripture. It says, The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from the, His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Um, and the reason that's important to me is because that, that's a scripture that uh, I had a vision of <clears throat> before I was saved. And, uh, and then the next day, a, a man came to me and read that scripture uh, in the context of preaching the gospel to me. And, and it was through that that I got saved. Um, and so the importance of God's Word is highlighted in that, and, and Hebrews is a significant book for me. So I encourage you to take the time to dig through Hebrews and, and, and overcome that initial, boy, this is confusing and what are they talking about? Uh, study it through because it really does 
open up both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The next book is James. <clears throat> All right, if you have your Bible, turn to James just so you kind of know what I'm talking about. The, the author of James is James. <laughs> um, again, the non-Pauline epistles are titled by the author, if it was known. So James was written by James, and James is the half-brother of Jesus. And the reason I say half-brother, some people go, oh, what do you mean? It's because James was the son of Joseph and Mary. Jesus was the son of God and Mary. Okay, um, and so... <clears throat> Uh, it's James is Jesus's biological brother, um, and uh, when Jesus was ministering, I don't know if you remember, there's a story that his brothers and sisters came to him and basically tried to get him to come home because he was crazy. They thought he was crazy. So during Jesus's ministry, his brothers were not in agreement. Uh, with Jesus' claims. But at some point, we don't know the story of their conversion. They came to the place, not only that they became believers, but uh, James is actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And, and by Acts 15, it was about the middle of the book of Acts, um, uh, a very significant thing happened. It's called the Jerusalem, Jerusalem Council when all of the apostles gathered and the leaders of the church gathered in Jerusalem and, and Paul and Barnabas were there because uh, all of these Gentiles were getting converted and, and they didn't know what to do with, how, how to instruct these Gentiles and how to live. And basically, James steps up and gives the final decree and says, well, this is how we're going to respond to it. And so James is clearly by that time the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's recognized as um, the, the authority in that church. And his decision was what was implemented uh, in the church throughout um, the world at that time. <clears throat> and so even by the middle of Acts, let me just sneak in this little extra point, is that very early in Acts, we see a high level of organization um, that uh, there was not just a scattering of independent, uh, autonomous congregations that were unrelated and did not have uh, an authority structure. There was a clear authority structure within the early church, and it's demonstrated by James, by this decision of how to handle the the Gentile converts brought to the church in Jerusalem. They debated it. They prayed about it. And there was a, uh, um, a decision made by a leader in the church that was then implemented throughout the church. And so early on in the church, um, actually most scholars are impressed at the level of organization that was um, uh, set up within the church. And Paul demonstrates this too in his interactions with the different people. He, he tells people where to go, <laughs> you know, go to this town and appoint elders, do this. And so there's an authority structure. James was the um, authority of the church in Jerusalem. And so uh, we think that this letter was probably written before that uh, Jerusalem council. So it was probably written around 49 A.D. Very early on. Think of it, 49 A.D. It's just, uh, just a few years after Jesus is, uh, uh, was crucified and ascended. And so this is one of the earlier letters in the Bible. The, the uh, audience is, is uh, listed to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So he was writing to believers that were already scattered about and, and, and converts. Uh, both Hebrew uh, converts as well as Gentile converts, but those living out in worldly nations. Um, he was known as James the Just because he had the devout character. In fact, because he lived in Jerusalem, he, was cons he, he took it upon himself to be uh, more righteous in everything he did so that there, no Jew could accuse him of breaking any of the Old Testament uh, laws. He was he was known for being for living in su such a high degree of morality that he uh, would uh, uh, could stand up to, against any accusation. But he was uh, a Christian and testifying with a Christian. He eventually was martyred. All right. And <clears throat> the emphasis of of his uh, of this book is is really on. That it's on living a life that demonstrates the character of God. 
and not compromising uh, your lifestyle to the point where he writes in James 2.20, he says, do, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? All right. So his emphasis on works is so strong that, that some people actually, Luther, Martin Luther, doubted the inspiration of, of James because it was so strong on works. And of course, Luther's main message is that we're saved by, by grace and that not of ourselves. And so it got to the point where he, was, he had trouble with this book. You know? and, and, and many people do. <clears throat> the central theme, though, is that genuine faith will inevitably produce good deeds in a godly lifestyle. And it's the evidence, it's the evidence of godliness. If the evidence of godliness is not visible, then there's not genuine faith. It's just a dead religion. All right? And James lived that as well as demanded. I love it. I love one, one of the parts that I love about James personally is that uh, how it balances out. It doesn't conflict, but it balances out the message of grace and the message of faith. James appeals in, in, um, in James 2.23. Listen to this. James appeals to Abraham as the evidence of his point that real faith requires works. All right? He says, and the Scripture in James 2.23, the Scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. So that's his, that's his Scripture proof. That's his proof text for his point. Paul uses the same passage in, in Romans to prove that it was grace and not works. Alright, Romans 4, 3 and 4, uh, Paul writes, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So it's interesting that they use the exact same verse uh, to prove what is ultimately the same point. All right. It's not a contradiction. It's a complementary truth. Uh, Paul was saying works apart from faith is useless. James was saying faith apart from works is dead. All right. But you have to have that faith has to be demonstrated in works. And if it's not demonstrated, you don't have real faith. It's a complementary truth, not a contradictory truth. All right. <clears throat> First and second Peter moving right along. First and Second Peter were written by First and Second Peter. <laughs> Just one Peter. <clears throat> yeah, and this is the actual uh, where James was not one of the uh, twelve apostles. Uh, yeah, the book of James is written by the brother of the Lord, who was not one of the uh, twelve apostles, but Peter was Peter, the guy who walked on water, the guy who um, stuck his foot in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> from time to time. And uh, most likely this book was these both of these books were written during the persecution which a little bit later than uh, uh most of the other uh some of the other New Testament books. This was written probably in the late 60s, uh 60 AD, not in the 1960s. But <laughs> 62 to 67 AD. And Emperor Nero, we all have heard Nero, right? He burned Nero was the one that burned Rome, right? Huh? He was playing the violin, uh, famous emperor uh, of Rome, <clears throat> but he persecuted. He he used the church as a scapegoat and um, persecuted the church significantly. And so Peter was writing this letter as an, an encouragement to many of the churches that were being persecuted. Peter was eventually executed by Nero uh, during this time. And the second Peter, we actually see, he actually he knows that he's about to be executed. And so there's the words of someone uh, facing death, literally uh, encouraging the Christians to persevere and to live faithful to our calling, to God's Word, especially in times of difficulty and tribulation and affliction. Peter is filled with practical applications of spiritual principles. He really goes into depth. He talks about some theological uh, stuff, but he gets pretty quickly into submission to government. I mean, here he is about to be executed by Nero. All right, think about this when you complain about government in, in America doing things that we don't agree with. Peter was, was seeing his friends tortured and killed because, simply because they were Christians. He himself was martyred because of his faith, yet he wrote 
that we are to be submitted to government and respect them and show respect. To me, that's powerful. All right? Uh, it doesn't mean we agree with what they're doing if it's wrong, but we still show respect and submission to the authority that God has put over us. He talks about husband and wife relationships. He talks about how to respond, uh, not to uh, repay uh, evil for evil. And he talks about how to, how to suffer as Christians and at the same time bring glory uh, to God. <clears throat> and uh, Peter gives a lot of instructions to pastors. And it's interesting because of Jesus' words to him at the end, right before Jesus rose. I remember Jesus talked to Peter, you know, do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my flock. And so here we see in Peter's writing the, the care that he has and the importance he places on shepherding the flock and leading the church. Uh, Second Peter is filled almost completely with warnings about false teaching. And it's interesting that if you read the warnings, it's the same stuff that's out there today. You know, the, the, the truth hasn't changed. The lies haven't changed either. You know, just about every false teaching that you can hear today, the answer is clearly outlined in the Bible. And it's, just, it's uh, sometimes just ridiculous how people can come up with these ideas when they're directly answered in, in Scripture. So Second Peter is um, addressing a lot of false teachings. Even at that early in church history, there were people teaching things that were contrary to wholesomeness, contrary to pure theology. And these books were written to give us an understanding of what is right and what to avoid and kind of to set the, the, the mark that the church needs to continue throughout all the generations. All right. Um, uh, even though he's dealing with uh, affliction and persecution and heresy, through it all, Peter maintains this optimism, this confidence. He knows he's going to die, but he has this confidence in the victory that he's going to see. I particularly like First um, and Second Peter because we see in, in this letter someone so radically different than we see in uh, Peter displayed in the Gospels. When you read uh, the Gospels, you see a young man that's zealous, but really, you know, not too bright <laughs> in a sense, or careful. Uh, what's that? He's not mature. Yeah, in, in, um, in, the, in the Gospels, he just makes uh, one blunder after another, it seems like, but, but Jesus sees in him the potential. And, and, uh, and, and, and then here, this is at the end of his life, and character development, right? That's, that's what makes every story good. That's what makes a movie good. It makes a, a, a book good. Is that here we see the character development from a young man chosen to follow Jesus. And here in his old life, just before his death, his words um, uh, to the church. And they're seasoned, you know. In the midst of persecution, he's not calling down fire. He's saying we need to submit. We need to love our uh, wives and, and be respectful to our husbands. And he's just getting this is the this is the real stuff of a mature Christian, and so it's very very powerful. Which leads us right to First, um, <clears throat> Second, and Third John, um, <clears throat> uh, written by <clears throat> the Apostle John. <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, John's writings are the 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 latest. Uh, the, the last of all the New Testament and the biblical uh, writings, John wrote his writings after uh, all of the other ones. In fact, he probably wrote these letters and the book of Revelation around 90 A.D. All right, so this was after the fall of Jerusalem. And so that significantly influenced John's understanding of uh, the world and God's plan uh, because Jerusalem was completely destroyed and the church was in a whole different place. The church had gone uh, viral. He's <laughs> a common word today. It was spread throughout Europe. Uh, John most likely lived his latter years in Ephesus and was um, at the church where Timothy pastored. And uh, many scholars estimate that the church in Ephesus was about 30,000 members. All right, talk about a mega church. Can you imagine being a young pastor and is probably in his mid-30s, early 40s, Timothy, 
pastoring a church of 30,000 with the Apostle John sitting in the front row? <laughs> How'd you like to preach a message and have John sit here? And Jesus said, is that right, John? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that I would love to have seen. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so John's uh, writings, of course, are, are different. He, he also writes in such a, uh, a different style. But these are the, he's the last living of the twelve apostles. All of the other apostles have passed away at this point. And so here are the words and the final instructions of someone who walked with Jesus. One of the twelve. And so if you don't read these books with a reverence and a respect of the person who wrote them, you are missing the point. Okay, Think of it, that you've been given a copy of the heart message of a man who walked with Jesus as a young man and lived through the entire first century and saw the church from that 120 in the upper room to uh, uh, being established throughout uh uh, all of Palestine, Asia Minor, and much of Europe. Okay, And so in his old age, he's writing these letters and communicating. He does write in a different style, but that's refreshing because he's, he's communicating the same truths even though he uses different word pictures. He's much more poetic. Um, John, uh, First John is mostly instructions uh, concerning what this elderly apostle thought was the most important issue. And how many can guess what that was? Huh? Say it out loud. Yeah. Love. Love. Behold what love the Father has bestowed on us. You know, he's constantly talking about love. And so this, why? Why Why is there such an emphasis on love? Because here's a man in his old, old age having seen everything. And he's like, this is it, folks. This is the bottom line. It's about love. And then he goes into how to live it out practically in many different ways. Second, second and third John are very short, often overlooked, but they're, 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 they're in the Bible much, and one reason because they're written by John, but they also uh, show a personal side of Scripture and that God is, uh, values one-on-one relationships. We can learn there's nuggets of truth, but their letters addressed to individuals, third John especially is, just a very short letter addressed to an individual. And, and so you can see that God values that. God values one-on-one uh, interaction enough to include it in Scripture. Okay, got to wrap up here. <clears throat> Jude. Jude is a short, obscure ver- uh, book, often overlooked. Um, but it was, it was written around 65 A.D. And, and I don't know if you realize, James and Jude were brothers. Most likely, most scholars believe that Jude was also Jesus' brother, grew up in the same household. Can you imagine? We have the opportunity to read writings and the study writings of, of men who were children, who were brothers with Jesus Christ. You know, that's in, that's, that in and of itself, I love it whenever I read James. I just think, you know, uh, I wish they'd tell stories about Jesus when he was a kid. Um, It primarily consists of warnings against false teachings and a call to stay true to the Gospel. What I love about Jude is its intensity, its conviction. I wish he'd written more because he's just so intense. He gets right to the point. And there's just a fiery intensity of it. And and we can see that. Alright, the book of Revelation. Oh, gosh. My time is out. And... (laughs) Everybody wants to know, hey, did you happen to hear that the rapture happened yesterday? (laughs) So you know what that means. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? (laughs) Because the scorpions are on their way. (laughs) All right, certainly Revelations uh, is one of the hardest books of the Bible uh, to understand, and uh, people have tried and this whole hoopla about uh, this prediction of the rapture is just another uh, example of the Bible being abused through the pursuit of knowledge that we're not meant to have. Did you hear that? It's another example of the Bible being abused through the pursuit of knowledge we're not meant to have. So all of, I feel sorry for that man who wasted his life 
and will have to give account to the Lord Jesus Christ um, uh, individuals who studied God's Word for the wrong purposes and waste their time and their money to teach something that Jesus clearly said, nobody knows the day or the hour, not even me. You know? And so, don't waste your time pursuing knowledge we're not meant to have. There's plenty enough information and truths that, were, that is clearly communicated that we need to see in our life. Does that make sense? All right. Now, this does, I'm not saying that Revelations is not important. It is extremely important. A person called, actually I had a nu- numerous calls in the last few months, and now I know why, because this guy was out there teaching all this and other things, you know. Uh, certain things happen, and <clears throat> a number of people have called. But one guy called me just a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. He says, um, do you have any, do you, have a, do you recommend any book to, so I can understand Revelation? The book of Revelation. I'd never met this guy. I was not a member of the church. And it's just, I think it was anointing. I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. Start with the book of Matthew. <laughs> and, and, and after you get done with Matthew, read Mark and then Luke and then John. And after you get those really good, then start with Romans and go through all of the epistles. All right? And after you've studied all that and have a fairly good understanding of the Old Testament then then you can start to study Revelation. And he, he was like, oh. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's a reason why it's the last book in the Bible. Alright? So, because there's all these other books ahead of the Bible that you need to get uh, in order to understand it. But Revelation is simply a vision that John saw while he was in prison. It's a prophetic vision, and therefore it must be interpreted and understood as a vision. It does, it does begin with some instruction to the, the seven churches, but most of the book is in dream language. Okay? Dream language. Uh, pictures. Illustrations. Much of those pictures were much more familiar pictures and had identifiable connections to someone living in 90 A.D. That to us, we have no idea. But if you, if you study history, you can have a better understanding. Now, I'm not saying that John, the fulfillment of Revelation is limited to John's natural understanding. But I'm saying it's significantly influenced, as did Paul's natural understanding, significantly influenced his writing. And so understanding what... How Paul uses word pictures is important. Understanding how John uses word pictures is important. Okay, But you need to understand the whole of Scripture in order to understand or to begin to understand um, how Revelation fits in. And it is a prophetic vision, a dream vision, uh, a, a vision filled with dream language and pictures of the unfolding of the kingdom of God. Okay, and there's 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 actually it's a cyclical book. And so there's things that are repeated, but most people misinterpret it as sequential when they're actually it's more of a cyclical, which was a form of writing in the old in in the uh, ancient times. Let me finish with this quote, just summarizing. This is um, uh, uh, this is from a study Bible. It says, John begins this book by explaining how he received the revelation from God. He then records specific messages from Jesus to the seven churches in Asia. Suddenly, the scene shifts as a mosaic, a mosaic of dramatic and majestic images bursts into view before John's eyes. The series of visions portray the future rise and evil culminating in the Antichrist and then follows John's recounting of the triumph of Jesus, of the King of Kings, the wedding of the Lamb, and the final judgment and the coming of the New Jerusalem. Revelation concludes with the promise of Christ's soon return And John breathes a prayer that has been echoed by Christians throughout the centuries. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. There you go. Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, I have some announcements for you. But first, I would like to um, say welcome to any guests that are with us this morning. 
If you are new to New Day and have never filled out your connection card and brought it to the connection counter, please do that. We have a gift that we'd love to give you. And um, the next two Sundays are going to be really exciting because we have Serve Sunday sign-ups. And um, it's a perfect opportunity for you to get connected at New Day and use your individual God-given gifts. He's given each of us things that are unique and very valuable to bless the rest of the body. And so next Sunday and the following Sunday, we'll have tables set up in the family room, and you can find out about all the different opportunities that are available to serve and get connected. And so there are more details about that in the bulletin. Um, And then the other thing I want to tell you about is coming up on July 11th through the 14th, And it's um, an event in our city called Jesus Loves Kazoo. And it's a lot of different churches in Kalamazoo coming together to bless the city. We participated last year, and um, we have more details coming about that. But it's a great way to, there's just going to be a lot of different outreach opportunities for us. And so, um, yeah, that'll be really fun to be able to, do some outreaches together. Um, and then are, are the Spaldings here? I don't see them. I see, I see Andy Engler visiting. Hello. <laughs> but anyway, so, all right. Well, let's um, just take the offering now. And um, then we have a, an exciting um, guest here to share something. So let's just pray for the offering now. Thank you, Lord, for um, all the blessings you've given us. Help us to um, just be generous um, with giving back to you. And um, I just pray that you would bless everyone abundantly who gives this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'd like to welcome um, Kim Sandlin to come up. He's the executive director of Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ. And he's going to tell us a little bit about what he does and what that's all about. Thanks, Marilee. I bring you welcome from Love in the Name of Christ and also from my home church, Agape Christian Church, just down the street here a little ways. All right. Well, it's like coming home here just about because we know a number of people here and we love your congregation. And uh, I'm one of the pastors at Agape and I head up uh, worship and tech arts at Agape and I'm a keyboardist. So I love worship and uh, it's just awesome. So thanks so much. Uh, Love in the Name of Christ is a nonprofit here in Kalamazoo County, and we serve the whole Kalamazoo County area. And our mission is building relationships and transforming lives. And so who are we building relationships with? We're seeking to build relationships in a couple of areas. Number one is with hurting and struggling people in our community. And as you know, our community has been going through some really tough times. And in the city of Kalamazoo proper by the 2009 census, 36% of all people live at or below the poverty line. 44% of children live below the poverty line. So there's a lot of needs in our community. And the other thing that we want to build relationships with is with the body of Christ. Because, you know, in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays and he says, Father, I pray that they will all be one. That's all of us. That we will all be one, Father, even as you and I are one, may they all be one. Because then the world will know that you sent me. God, our Father, wants the body of Christ in Kalamazoo to be one. The biblical church to be one. Each of us has our own unique mission, of course, and purposes that God has called us to. Otherwise, we'd all be a hand. But he wants us to drop any kind of a silo effect and begin to partner together to do ministry. Just like that uh, thing on the screen there with Jesus Loves Kazoo. That's going to be awesome. And so love in the name of Christ seeks to network the body of Christ together to minister on behalf of hurting and struggling people. And that's where life transformation takes place. Our lives are transformed because we're fulfilling what Jesus called us to do, which is to go out into the whole world with the gospel of Christ in tangible ways that can make a difference in people's lives. And then their lives are transformed because it's only the gospel of Jesus that has the power to transform lives from the inside out. 
I mean, we can come alongside people. We can help them in ways to get them to maybe a better place physically or materially in their lives. But the change has got to take place in the heart. And only the church has the power to do that. And I want to share a real quick testimony with you that kind of exemplifies how this all takes place. We have a call center and people in need call us. And a young lady uh, named Taya called us. And she and her two teenage daughters lived in a trailer in a trailer park in Galesburg. She has multiple sclerosis and she can't drive, but she can get around. But she has a lot of health struggles and she lives on disability. This gal is extremely careful with how she spends her money. And so she's able to pay all of her monthly bills because she's very prudent and she's very frugal. However, their furnace broke. And she had no money to buy another furnace, could not get any assistance toward getting another furnace. And she was worried because it was summertime, but what's going to happen when the winter comes and she doesn't have a furnace? As a matter of fact, what happened is they all got sick and the girls ended up in the hospital with carbon monoxide poisoning because their furnace was so bad. But anyway, so she called us. And when, when someone calls us, not only do we just ascertain what is the immediate need, but we try to go a little further with them. How can we get you connected into relationships that will point you toward Christ? And so as we were talking with her, we asked her, have you ever, you know, do you go to church anywhere or anything like that? She says, well, when I was a young girl, I gave my life to Christ when I was 13. And then two years later, when I was 15, my parents got divorced and have never set foot inside a church since. And so they asked her, would you like to get reconnected with the body of Christ? And she says, I'm really lonely. And so I called a pastor friend of mine at Word for Life Church, Jeff McNally. And um, we got her connected with that church. They started to reach out to her. They adopted her. Somebody would pick her up every Sunday for church. And she be, that became her church family. She reconnected with the body of Christ, gave her life over to Christ again. In the meantime, somebody in their church had a furnace that would fit in her trailer that was almost brand new. They had just used it for a couple of years and then decided that they wanted to have a furnace down in the basement instead of on the main floor. They were willing to sell it for a hundred bucks. Well, we took up an offering in our office at Love in the Name of Christ. We bought that furnace for a hundred dollars. Then we connected with a couple of guys from Agape that are repairmen and they pulled a building permit and everything and they installed the furnace for her at no cost. And then a house church took up an offering to pay for the expenses that the guys installing the furnace encountered with, build, with pulling the building permit plus a few parts and things like that. And they paid those guys to do the work. And so we had Word for Life, Agape Christian Church, a house church, and Love in the Name of Christ all connected together, surrounding this woman with the love of Christ. And now whenever we talk to her, because we always follow up with people, she says, oh, I go to Word for Life. That's my home. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And that's what that's what love in the name of Christ is all about, is connecting people together in the body of Christ to serve our community with Christ's love in tangible ways that will make a huge difference in our community. And if I could take just one minute, I believe the Lord gave me an interpretation on this beautiful uh, drawing here that the sister drew during the service. And uh, if you think of the blues, if you think of the blues in that drawing as the deep waters that our community is struggling with right now, because there's a lot of homelessness. There are many kinds of needs. People are in need in our community now that have never been in need before. So envision, if you if you would, our community being walking through some really deep waters right now. And then consider the the yellows and the oranges at the bottom to be the kingdom of God. And then consider the body of Christ becoming one, even as Jesus prayed, which results then in the kingdom of God bursting through those deep waters and then completely overflowing all the deep waters in our whole community so that everyone in our community can see the kingdom of God and can see Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Yeah. Amen. Great. All right. So Amen. anyway, afterwards... Yeah. I'll be at a table afterwards, and we've got a newsletter that you can take with you. We've got a uh, sign-up if you want to be a part of our mailing list. We'd love to stay connected with you guys, and, and thanks, Cameron, for the opportunity. Yeah, let me pray for you real quick here. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, we, I, I personally love uh, their resources because we do get calls frequently, and it's hard to know 
you know, someone's just trying to scam. I've been scammed quite a few times. Um, and, and their ministry is, is just really solid. You can indicate donations to them if you'd like on our offering envelope. But it's yeah, just a, cards. and there's donation cards that get connected. It's a solid, it's been around for uh, many years. But Father, we thank you for what Love Incorporated, uh, Kim and the team are doing to help bring the church together to meet real needs. And that, Lord, I believe that you've raised up this ministry to be that link that uh, that churches it's difficult to 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 meet those needs but when we work together we can do that and here's a here's a way we can do this we bless them bless their ministry pray that all of their needs would be met as they seek to meet the needs of our community in Jesus's name amen. amen all right be sure to see Kim at the table in the back he's got more information and if you um would like we have our prayer team available up here on this side they can minister uh whatever prayer needs you may have you just want to receive a blessing don't miss out if you have a physical need get prayer on this side we have our prophetic team and they're a team of folks trained to hear god's voice and share with you uh what they feel god would have for you you can just come up there and they'll minister um to first come first serve otherwise stand up Greet one another. God bless you. You're dismissed. Don't forget there's coffee and donuts in the family room as well as the information about Love, Inc.